Please stand for the reading of God's word. Exodus three thirteen through 22. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that will do in it, that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So shall you plunder the Egyptians. This is the word of God. In the Bible, there is a pattern that often the servants of the Lord, whom God uses in powerful ways to accomplish his purposes are reluctant servants. God has something special for them to do, but they are unwilling to a certain degree. And they need God to work on their hearts to make them willing to be used by him to accomplish his purposes. The amazing thing is that when God's servants act like this, God is gracious with them. God encourages their discouraged hearts. God comforts them. God patiently instructs them. Sometimes if their stubbornness goes too far, God's grace will look like discipline. But even the discipline is ultimately for the purpose of their redemption, not to destroy or humiliate them. You might think of Jonah. There's a guy who resisted the call of God in his life to such an extreme that God had to throw him in the ocean. And then he had to get swallowed up by a fish. But even this discipline was meant for Jonah's good. Sometimes the discouragement and resistance that comes from God's servants comes on the front end. That's what we're witnessing from Moses in Exodus chapters 3 and 4. Sometimes, though, the discouragement comes in the middle of the journey. A few of you may remember the story of Elijah. 
Elijah the prophet was used of God in powerful ways. He was bold. He was courageous. He was full of faith. And then after one of his great victories, some discouraging circumstances came. Now, to Elijah's credit, they were pretty discouraging. The king said she was going to cut off his head like within 24 hours. But in this moment, he was exhausted and he lost faith. He got discouraged and he started arguing with God. And yet God came by grace and encouraged him. It's a pattern in Scripture that sometimes the servants of the Lord, whom God wants to use to do great things, get discouraged and they doubt and they struggle and they resist and they're stubborn. But God comes with grace to encourage them and to instruct them and get them back on track. Now, I've said that's what's happening with Moses, but let me show it to you. I want you to see this in the text. Last week, we talked about the first half of Exodus chapter 3. And in this portion of the text, God appeared to Moses in a flame of fire. Remember that? Everybody say fire. And the fire represented God's holy presence. God is holy love. God is holy goodness, holy justice, holy grace, holy power. And by grace, God called Moses by name and taught Moses to take the sandals off of his feet, to humble himself and to come near. And because of God's grace, Moses wasn't consumed by God's holy presence. Rather, the holy fire of God's presence refined and transformed Moses. God called Moses near. God consecrated Moses for his purposes. And then God commissioned Moses to go and do his will. God had a purpose for Moses. Namely, God tells Moses, go. Everybody say, go. God tells Moses, go to Pharaoh because you, Moses, are going to be my chosen instrument to lead my people out of their slavery in Egypt and then into freedom. But last week, Moses' response was this, Exodus 3.11. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Back in Exodus chapter 2, we found a self-reliant, self-confident Moses who wanted to rescue the people in his own strength. He was rash. He was hasty. He had a sense of spiritual identity and moral purpose, but he was immature and self-reliant. Here, things have changed. Moses is no longer self-reliant, but he has become a person who is discouraged, who's been beat up by life who feels inadequate, and now he thinks, I don't want to do this at all. Last week, God encouraged Moses and said, I am with you. But Moses is going to keep this going. Every time Moses speaks in this conversation, it's raising some objection to God's purpose in his life. Next week, Chauncey's going to preach to you. That's going to be a good one. You better come back next week. It's going to be good. But, but Moses is going to raise his voice three times in chapter 4. If you got your Bible, flip over to chapter 4 for a second. In verse 1, we're going to read, Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. God, they're not going to listen to me. I know you said you're going to go with me, but they won't listen to me. So God gives Moses some powerful signs to con confirm his presence. And then in verse 10, Moses says, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. So God's going to say some stuff to Moses about, listen, I, I made the mouth. You're not going to speak in your own strength. I'm going to speak through you. And then finally, in verse uh, 13, Moses finally says what he's been thinking the whole time. Oh, Lord, please send someone else. That's the bottom line. I'm not sure if you were 
we're picking up on what I was getting at with all these questions, but God, but I just don't want to go. Moses, in chapter 2, wanted God to rescue the people, and he thought, I'm going to go do it, but he was relying on his own strength. Now Moses wants God to rescue the people with somebody else. I'm just going to chill with my family. I'm comfortable. He was feeling afraid. He was feeling discouraged. He's being stubborn. It's in that light that we have to understand verse 13 in our text today. Because verse 13 is actually a good question. But if we put this verse in the context of the whole conversation, it becomes clear. This question is coming from Moses, who is very resistant. He's very reluctant. He doesn't want to do this thing God wants him to do. Look at verse 13 again today, the beginning of our text. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Now, that's actually a good question, because when we ask about the name of God, when Moses asks about the name of God, He's asking not just about the name. In the Bible, the name represents the character and the nature and the identity of God. So the name of the Lord is a big deal. Everybody say the name of God. That's ultimately what this passage of Scripture is about. But the question, as I'm trying to show you, is coming from a reluctant servant of God, a discouraged servant of God, a doubting servant of God, a stubborn one. And yet, in our passage today, God responds graciously with encouragement, with encouragement, with encouragement. And he does this in three ways. Let me give you the little outline right now before we get into it. First of all, God is going to reveal his name to Moses. God's going to reveal his name to Moses. And the name is Yahweh. Because God is the one who is. In a second, he's going to say, I am who I am. That's the title of my sermon. That's the heart of God's encouragement. Moses, not only am I going with you, but I am who I am. So everybody say, I am who I am. That's the God who's going with you, Moses. Not only does God reveal his name, but then he expounds upon this by reminding Moses of God's track record of steadfast love and faithfulness. He reveals his name. He reminds Moses of his steadfast love, of his track record, the story of his steadfast love. And then finally, he promises Moses that he is going to deliver the people. So there's a revelation of a name. There's a reminder of God's track record of faithfulness, and there's promise of deliverance. But before we get into those details, I just want to say, Christ Community Church family, give, give me your hearts, give me your mind, give me your attention for a moment. I really want you to hear this. I feel like we, as a family, right now, need to hear this word in a personal way. Everybody here, God has a purpose for you. God has a purpose for you. God has a purpose for you. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again, he did that not only so that you could be forgiven of your sins and be reconciled to God through faith, but also so that you could be brought into the family of God, the community of God right here, and so that we could fulfill the purposes of God. The gospel of grace gives us a purpose much like Moses, we have been called into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We have been called into the covenant community by grace through Jesus Christ. By the way, 
as we read through the book of Exodus, Moses' experiences with the covenant community are not always going to be a rosy picture of functional family life. It's going to be discouraging because the covenant community is just people. They're people, and they're often stubborn and stiff-necked. Anybody found that Christian community is also not a rosy, idealistic picture of perfect family life? Everybody want to look around at each other and try not to make eye contact with a few individuals? I mean... The church has the Holy Spirit and the gospel of grace, and that's all we need. But we still have the human factor in this community, don't we? Sometimes it's difficult, but the relationships within the covenant community are God's training school in which the Holy Spirit wants to teach us to live by steadfast love. But not only that, God's calling us through Jesus, into relationship with himself, into relationship with the covenant community. And he's commissioning us, like Moses, to do good works. God said to Moses, go, set the people free. God says to us in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. God commissioned us, or Ephesians 2, 10, You might want to jot down this reference or even flip over to it. This is an important one. Ephesians 2.10 says this about Christians. Right after saying that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not by any works of our own, but just by grace, Paul describes the fruit of our salvation like this. He says, we are God's workmanship. Now everybody say workmanship. That's, That's a word which actually... One translation renders masterpiece, which is a good rendering. It means a carefully designed, handcrafted work of art or craft by a skilled craftsman. We, the people of God, are God's masterpiece, his workmanship. Then the text goes on to say, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them, which means for every person here, God has handcrafted you to fulfill good works. And God has prepared those good works for you, which means God didn't just say go to Moses. He said, go to you. He said, go to you. But like Moses, we tend to get discouraged, don't we? If you've ever gotten discouraged in the call of God, can I hear amen? That was pretty convincing. We get discouraged. We start to doubt. We start wrestling with God. We come with questions to God or to our pastors. But sometimes what we're really saying with our questions is, God, send somebody else. God, this is hard. You ever come to God with questions and God, as as you spend time in the presence of the Lord, reveals, you know, I think really what's going on in your heart is... You just don't want to do what I called you to do. Moses has questions, but the bottom line is he's discouraged. He, he wants to quit. He wants God to save the world, but not by him. Some of us really want God to redeem the south side. Some of us really want God to move in the hearts of kids and people in our community. Some of us really want people to be saved and to flourish and reach their God-given potential. Some of us really want the gospel to go to unreached people groups among the nations. We just don't want to pay the price. Down in our heart of hearts. And we get discouraged. And we get distracted. And we start wrestling with God. And I'm not trying to be judgmental to anybody because I've had some of these conversations with God myself, friends. And... So what I long for you to hear 
today is that when God responds to Moses with gracious encouragement, when he reveals his name, when he reminds Moses of his track record, when he promises his faithfulness, he's speaking those words to you, to you personally as an individual. And to us as a community saying, don't give up. God's commands are not optional. By the way, God's gracious, gracious, gracious. And then next week you're going to see in chapter four when Moses just says, I don't want to go. It says the anger of the Lord was kindled against him. Moses is going to get whooped a little bit. But then God's going to restore him. You don't want to go all the way to the whooping stage, friends. God's going to get you to do his purpose, even if he has to throw you into the ocean and send a fish. Right. But it's just a lot better for us if we don't make it go that far. So God is saying by grace to you here today, don't get discouraged. Don't give up on fighting for community. Don't give up on fighting for intimacy with Jesus. Don't give up on the work of ministry because it's long and hard and slow and often discouraging because God has a purpose and you are in the center of God's purposes. That's not John Mark's authority. That's Ephesians 2.10. He has prepared you for something he wants to do through you, and he will do it if we do not give up. So I want to pause in the middle of my sermon right now. I want to pause to just bow our heads. And in a moment, as I come back to reflect on God's encouragement to Moses, I'm just crying out. I've been crying out to God this week that you would hear the voice of God saying these words to you in a deep and profound way. But I want to just give you a moment in your heart to pray. God, let me hear you. Don't let me be stubborn. Let me hear your word this morning. Just be quiet. Let's just pray together. And I'm going to pray for us in a moment. Oh, Lord, help us this morning. Help us to hear your word. Help us to know you. Where the enemy wants to discourage and deceive and distract and divide, would you bring encouragement, truth, focus on Jesus and his kingdom and unity? By your spirit, would you speak to us in the deep places of our hearts this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God responds to Moses graciously, and the first thing he does is reveal his name. Reveal his name. Look at verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's the heart of this passage. That's the heart of the encouragement. Everybody say, I am who I am. And he said... Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, when Moses asks for the name of God, it's not exactly clear what he means, because the personal name of God, which is mentioned in verse 15, is the name Yahweh, Yahweh. And the name Yahweh comes from the Hebrew verb, meaning he is, he is. And so when Moses asks this, Probably one of two things is going on. One possibility is that because Moses grew up for a little while being raised by his mother who nursed him, his biological mother, but then he grew up in Egypt, Moses might actually not know the name Yahweh. Another possibility is that Moses knows the name Yahweh, but he doesn't know what it means. At any rate, God's response here is revealing both the name Yahweh and what it means. Because 
If you look at verse 15, where it says, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord. In your Bible, that word Lord is in all caps. And most of our English translations put the word Lord in all caps when, when the Hebrew word is Yahweh. So everybody say Yahweh. And Yahweh means he is. So when we call God the Lord, when we call him Yahweh, the personal proper name of God that he reveals to Israel, we're saying the God who is, he who is, or the God who will be, he who will be. But now God is putting that in the first person to make it clear. The reason you call me he who is, is because I am who I am. I am who I am. So what does that mean? This is a question which bears deep, deep reflection, deep reflection. And if you study the question, you'll find that this, the truth about God revealing this name is deep and it has layers. There's a lot to it. So we're really just going to scratch the surface today. But let me give you a, a few basic reflections. When God says, I am who I am. He's revealing to us, I am the unchanging, self-sufficient, eternal source of all existence, life, and power. I depend on nothing outside of myself for my being, but all things depend upon me. So John Mark cannot call himself, I am who I am, because my existence is totally dependent and contingent. God's existence is self-sufficient and independent. You hear what I'm saying here? Everything else that exists, exists because of the will of God. Exists by dependence on God. But God exists essentially and eternally and necessarily. He is the fountain of being. He is the source of life. He is I am who I am. As such... He necessarily is unchanging, which means he's reliable, he's stable, he's steadfast. So there's a couple ideas here. He's the source. Everybody say source. He's self-sufficient. I meant for you to repeat that one. I didn't make it very clear. Let's try again. Everybody say he's self-sufficient. Say he's independent. He's unchanging. This is a way of saying God is the uncreated creator of all things. This may sound like either obvious or hard to understand. Let me try and take you deeper into this because when we get it, when we get it, friends, it just changes everything. We can still rebel against God, but we have no reason to be discouraged if we're trying to do God's will. And we understand this. There is a massive line of infinite difference between God the creator and every created thing. Let's talk about what goes on each side of that line. On on the creation side, which is all of us and every whatever, flower, raccoon, archangel, every created thing. On the creation side is total dependence. Total dependence. We are in no way independent and self-sufficient. I know in America we tell ourselves that we are but we aren't. Everybody breathe in right now. You feel that breath in your lungs? Did you make that breath? Did you make those lungs? You are dependent. You are dependent. We have a few medical folks in the room and they could tell you there's a lot of ways for lungs to stop working. 
It only takes a few moments for us to die if we can't get that air in our lungs. We didn't create the air. We didn't create the lungs. The only reason we exist moment to moment is by the will of God. That's not just us. That's everything that exists. Every archangel, for that matter, every demon that's rebelled against God would not exist unless it's being was upheld by God's sovereign providential will. Radical dependence on the creation, created side of the line. The creator is utterly, utterly independent and self-sufficient. God needs nothing. He is eternal existence. He is I am. He is the fountain of being. On the creation side of this table, what we have therefore is radical need. Anybody need forgiveness? Anybody need help paying your bills? Anybody need friendship and love? Anybody need encouragement? We've got need after need after need. On God's side, all, all we have is fullness of being. God can't need anything. God eternally is joy and love and peace. God eternally exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God was never lonely. God enjoyed the fellowship of the Trinity from all eternity so that creation doesn't meet any need in God. Creation is God out of pure generosity inviting us into his joy. We have need on our side, but there's no need. There's infinite satisfaction, infinite resource on God's side. On the creation side of the equation, what you get is changeableness. We're changing all the time. We're changing all the time. Sometimes we're learning stuff and sometimes we're forgetting stuff. We've probably done both of them already during this sermon, right? Sometimes we're growing and sometimes we're shrinking. I got faster and more athletic for a few years, and it's been going the other direction for a while now. We grow, we shrink, we change. We get better, then we get worse. Sometimes we're nice, and sometimes we ain't. But God, I am who I am, is the unchanging, self-sufficient, immutable, always steadfast, always reliable one. On the creature side, what we get is limitations in every way. Our knowledge is limited, right? Our power is limited. In every way, we are limited. But on, on the God side of the equation, I am who I am. That's infinite being, infinite power, infinite knowledge. He knows everything that is or that has been or that will be. And nothing is too hard for him. When God says... To Moses, I am who I am. What he's saying is, I am the infinite creator, the self-sufficient source of life and energy and being and power. And if we want to apply that to your situation, Moses, here's what you need to know. Beating Pharaoh is not a problem. Beating Pharaoh is not a problem. Moses, you're scared of Pharaoh. But the reason there is breath in Pharaoh's lung is because I am. The reason that Pharaoh will be defeated is the same reason he exists. It's because I am. The reason you exist, Moses, is because I am. The reason the people are going to come out of their slavery into freedom is because I am. Nothing is too hard for me, Moses. And I want you to hear, if you're feeling like, you know what? My ministry to these kids I'm trying to mentor... To my, parent, my, my own children, as a parent, I'm trying to take care of people, I'm trying to change diapers, I'm trying to instruct, I'm trying to discipline, I'm trying to love. Out in the apartment complex, 
Maybe you're going into a classroom. Maybe you're trying to witness in your workplace or in your neighborhood. Maybe there's a sense of calling, something God's calling you to do. Maybe you're just on the front end of that getting started, or maybe you've been in for a while and it's turned out hard. Maybe you already threw in the towel and got out, but now God's calling you back in. But there's this feeling inside of you. It's too hard. Guess what, friends? It is too hard for you, but it's not too hard for God. And the reason that Moses will lead the people out of slavery into freedom, even this reluctant arguing Moses, is because I am who I am declared that it would be so. And I am who I am commissions him and says, I will go with you. That's the name of God. That's the name of God. In verse 15, Moses Here's another encouraging word. Not only does God reveal his name, but God reminds Moses of his track record of steadfast love and faithfulness. Look at Exodus 3.15 again. God said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord. Everybody say Yahweh. That means he who is the one who calls himself I am. Yahweh The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Now, when God mentions Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when he calls himself the God of the ancestors here, he's not just bringing up random names. God is mentioning these names because these names evoke a story. And what you'll find is here and throughout the Bible... God identifies himself not only by his name, but by the story of his grace towards his people. God identifies himself not only by his name, but by the story of his grace to his people. So what he's saying to Moses is, I am the God that your mama told you about for those first four years of your life. That appeared to Abraham and called Abraham by grace and promised to Abraham, you will have children. And even after decades in which Sarah was barren and in which Abraham was old, God was steadfast in his love and faithfulness towards Abraham and Sarah. God kept his promises. Even when Abraham and Sarah made mistakes, they doubted. They made foolish decisions. God didn't give up on them. God was gracious and he kept his promises. And then came Isaac. Isaac repeated most of his father's mistakes, but yet God was gracious to Isaac and Rebekah. Then came Jacob. Jacob was a rebel for decades. Jacob was a deceiver. He was a liar. He was self-interested. And yet God, in his steadfast love, pursued Jacob, chased him down, and literally wrestled him to the ground until he got a hold of Jacob's attention. And then God, in his grace, poured out steadfast love on Jacob and on Rachel and on Leah. And after that, God poured out grace and steadfast love on Joseph and on Reuben and on all all Judah, all the children of Jacob. And God has kept all of his promises. This is the story of steadfast love. It's the story of covenant faithfulness. That's what's being said right here. And as the Bible continues, God's going to keep doing this after God does what he's about to do in the book of Exodus. From then on out, frequently when God appears to his people, he says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who brought you out of your slavery in Egypt. And then later on still, 
in the times of the kings of Israel, he'll say, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who brought you out of your slavery in Egypt, who empowered Moses, who empowered Joshua, who brought you into the promised land. And then later, when the people are in exile, he'll say, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of steadfast love, the God who is faithful to Rahab, the God who is faithful to Esther, the God who is faithful to Ruth, the God who is faithful to David. Even when David thought his whole kingdom was going to come crashing down, God protected him and sustained him. I'm the God who has prophesied to you through Isaiah that I wouldn't leave you in exile. And now we've got an even better story because God says to us, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob who brought the people of Israel out of slavery and into freedom. I'm the God who was faithful to Rahab, faithful to Ruth, faithful to Esther, faithful to David, faithful all the way down. I kept my promises to Isaiah and Jeremiah by coming among you myself as Jesus Christ. I died on the cross for your sins. I rose again. I sent the Holy Spirit. My steadfast love for you has never failed and it never will. That's who God is. I am who I am. We don't just know that he's powerful and self-sufficient. We know he's the powerful, infinitely self-sufficient God whose steadfast love for us has never failed. And he identifies himself by the story of his faithfulness to us. He reveals his name. He reminds Moses of the tracker of faithfulness and steadfast love. And then in verses 16 through 22, God makes promises. That he will overcome Pharaoh and deliver the people and bring them into the promised land. I don't have time to go to all the details of this text, but look with me real quick at verse 17. Here's a good one. I promise, there's a key word, everybody circle that word promise. Everybody say promise. We got to know about promises, guys. We got to know about the covenant of God. You need to memorize a bunch of promises of God and hide them in your heart. The promises of God are sure and steadfast. We've got to stand on them. Right here, God says, I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt. Your slavery is about to come to an end. That's what he's saying. And I'm going to bring you to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a good land. It's a good land. God makes promises here. It's cool that after this... God not only makes promises, but he's, he predicts a lot of specific details about how he's going to do this. Matter of fact, Moses, if you're nervous about how this is going to unfold, I'm going to be honest. God doesn't usually do it this way. When I'm discouraged and I go to God and he reminds me of a promise, he's usually not like, matter of fact, John Mark, here's what's about to happen. You're going to go out to the apartment complex. The manager's going to be like, come here. You're going to start the, these five people are going to get saved. You're going to disciple. He doesn't usually give us the details. But Moses got something really hard to do, and God's being really gracious here. Listen to what God says to Moses. Just look at the verses. God says, first, you're going to go to the elders, the leaders of my people Israel. They're going to listen to you. Then you're going to go to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's not going to listen to you. His heart's going to be stubborn and hard. But because he doesn't listen to you, I'm going to send a bunch of plagues. To discipline the people of Egypt so that they will know my power too. And then Pharaoh's going to send you out. And when he sends you out, I'm going to send all the women of the people of Israel to get gifts from the Egyptians. So you're not going to go out empty handed. I'm going to go ahead and give you some reparations. And you're going to come out of there with infinite, not with, I mean, you're going to come out of there with God. But you're also going to come out of there with stuff. You can come out of there with gold and clothes and food. I'm going to give you everything that you need. That's a lot of detail. This is not just a, in general, I'm going to work it out. I haven't got it figured out, but trust me, 
God knows in detail. He usually doesn't download the plan for us like that. But Moses got a little helpful reassurance. Not only is this I am who I am, a God of infinite power, love, the fountain of all being and energy and resource. Not only that, and not only does he have a track record of steadfast love and faithfulness, not only does he give us promises, but he already sees the future and knows it in intricate detail. Which means whatever the stuff is that you're going through right now, God already sees its resolution. God sees the harvest that you will reap for the seeds you're sowing right now. The bad seeds and the good seeds, by the way. God sees the harvest that you will reap for the seeds you're sowing right now. You plug along faithfully sharing the gospel and trying to disciple for the next 10 years. You may have seven discouraging relationships where somebody professes faith and it doesn't pan out. But God knows about the two that are going to walk with him. And that are going to have generational ripple effects because their grandkids are going to do something awesome for the Lord after you're in heaven. God sees the end from the beginning. God sees your life 10 years from now. God sees your life 30 years from now. Chew on this, friends. God sees 10 billion years from now. Those of us that have trusted in Christ have promises to stand on. That we will receive resurrected bodies and we will reign with Christ in the new creation. God will wipe every tear from our eyes. We're going to live with him forever. We're going to reign with him. We're going to rule with him. We are going to have great parties. We're going to eat great food. We're going to have awesome worship services. I got a little foretaste when Matthew Troiano played that little solo on his violin. Took me up, maybe not to the third heaven, but at least 2.5. That was good. That was good this morning. We're going to have great worship services and glory. That's hard for us to believe, but this is not wishful thinking, friends. This will happen. It's it's hard for me to picture it. God doesn't have to imagine it. God's already there. God's already there. So when God says to you in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, I know you're discouraged with how things are going right now, but be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the works of the Lord. For you know that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. He speaks of what he knows, friends. He speaks of what he knows. He sees the end of a thing from from the beginning. As we move to a conclusion here, friends, I just want to plead with you. CCC family, Christ Community Church family, please hear this word in a personal way. Be encouraged to walk in the sacred purposes that God has prepared for you. Be encouraged to walk in the sacred purposes that God has prepared for you. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Everybody turn to your neighbor. Here's the point. Turn to your neighbor. Say, God is with you. Don't give up. It's worth it, y'all. As I, as I reflect on this this morning, as I think about us and as I think about Moses, it's just so easy to get discouraged. And, and I've just been reflecting on the fact so many people, when they get discouraged, they make bad decisions. And God wants to encourage you today. I am who I am is with you. That's what he's saying to you today. And... I've been reflecting on the fact that this discouragement that we deal with is not just an accident. We have an adversary, don't we? We have an adversary. We have an enemy. Everybody say, we have an enemy. Ephesians 6, 12 was one of our memory verses a while back. 
We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. But here's the thing. We have the devil's playbook. The Bible tells us what the devil's trying to do. He's very predictable. Let me give you four D's. Here's what Satan's trying to do in your life. Four D's. Discourage. Distract. Divide and deceive. Discourage, distract, divide, and deceive. If we had time for another whole sermon on spiritual warfare right now, I could give you a bunch of references for each of those. We don't have time right now. But Satan wants to discourage, divide, distract, and deceive. And I want you to hear the word of the Lord today. For everybody who's discouraged, that feels like giving up, God is saying to you, I wish I could call every person by name right now and say, Jared Stevenson, don't give up. Reed Bear, don't give up. Morgan Curry, don't give up. It would just take a long time if I kept going, right? Clifford Webb, faithful pillar in our church, don't give up. Nick Cox showing up today. Don't give up, brother. Don't give up. Why? You may say, but you don't know how hard it is. I'm so weak. I'm so struggling. That's what Moses says. But here's the thing. It doesn't depend on you. It's not about who you are and what you can do. It's about who God is and what he can do. So don't give up. If you're feeling distracted, Satan wants to distract you. He'll do that with sin for sure. But if he can't do that, he'll just... Take one of God's good gifts and try to get you more focused on the good gift than Jesus. What are we supposed to focus on? Jesus and his kingdom. And if you're focused more on career or on finances or family, these are good gifts. But Satan will use that to get you out of the game. So what God is saying to you right now is don't get discouraged and don't get distracted. It's all about Jesus. And if you're feeling divided, Satan is so predictable. Do you know do you know what I found? If a, if a ministry team is discouraged, if any ministry team is discouraged, I found that I can go sit down and say, share your hearts with me, guys. I want to hear what's going on. And then we'll go around the room and each of them will say one at a time. I feel like everybody else fits in and belongs and gets along, but I don't fit in. I don't have a place here. It's amazing how predictable. I'll sit down with seven saints. They've been going after it for a long time, ministering together. And Satan number one will say, that was saint, not Satan, by the way. I want to be clear in my enunciation. <clears throat> saint number one, Christian number one, will say, you know, I just feel like Christians number two through seven, they click, they get along, they like each other, but I just don't fit in. And then Christian number two will say, you know, that's weird because I was thinking Christians number one and three through seven, they really like each other. They click, they fit in. It's wonderful. But what do I have to contribute? And then Christian number three will say, it's weird for me to hear you say that. Because I was thinking, Christians one and two get along. Christians four through seven have wonderful gifts. But what do I have to contribute? Satan wants to divide. But what God is saying to you is don't give up on the fight for community. Don't give up on the fight for unity. Don't give up on the fight for Christian family. Because I am who I am is with you. This is your training school for learning steadfast love. And he will empower you. He's able to overcome every obstacle. And finally, when Satan tries to deceive you, God is saying, I am the truth. Stand on my word. I am the truth. Stand on my word. Remember, God is I am who I am. Everybody say, I am who I am. Remember his track record of faithfulness and steadfast love. Remember his extravagant promises to you that have never failed. Don't be discouraged and don't give up. God has good purposes for you. Let's pray. 
Our Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for this word that we have heard this morning. Thank you that you patiently encourage us and instruct us. And as we respond to the word by going to the Lord's table today. Would you fulfill the promises of Isaiah 41.10? It's one of our memory verses. And Lord, you said to your people, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. Lord, it's my desire that right now you would strengthen and help and uphold these saints. That you would encourage them by your grace. If there's any here that don't know you, I pray that today would be the day they trust in you. For every stumbling saint that you would, saint, that you would stand us up by grace. Please bless the bread, bless the cup. Make our hearts open to receive again the word of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.